We're going to read the Bible now, so if you've got one, get it out, and if you don't have one, there's plenty on the back table. Today we're reading from Romans chapter 12. We'll read the whole chapter. Romans chapter 12 from verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do we worship God? How should we do that? I wonder if you've thought about that before. Whether you're Christian or not, um, everyone would assume that if you believe in a God, then you should worship that God. But the question I'm asking is, how should we worship God? Muslims worship Allah, and they do that by praying five times a day. Buddhists and Hindus worship regularly through a temple or shrine. Many would say that Christians worship through song and music. But how do we worship the true and living God? How does he want us to worship him? 
Well, as we come to this chapter 12 in Paul's letter to the Romans, it's important for us to know what's come before. A common theme through the book of Romans is that um, the, the unity that's in uh, Christ, that the church made through Christ's sacrifice. Uh, the Gentiles have been engrafted in as God's chosen people. Paul gives this illustration of a uh, olive tree. The, tree. the root of the tree is strong and sustains uh, the branches coming off it. Let's go back and read some of that in chapter 11. So if you've got your Bibles, keep them open because we'll keep referring to it. Um, go to chapter 11, verse 17. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. These grafted branches have been, that are being talked about are the Gentiles, those who weren't originally part of Israel, uh, God's chosen nation. Now that the Gentiles have been connected in, uh, God is the one who is the root that they've been connected to. He's the one that gives nourishment to them and everything that they need to grow. And they need to know this blessing, and so do we as Gentiles. It's a special privilege to be able to know God and be part of his kingdom in this way. And it's a, a great thing to be part of that kingdom. There's also a warning as we are brought into God's chosen people. A warning to not consider ourselves superior to others. Um, and God is the one who controls who is part of the tree. This is then what brings us to the basis of chapter 12, when Paul is addressing how the Gentiles are also now saved how they are to worship God with their lives. So we're going to work through this passage through these three ideas. What is true worship? How do we serve one another? And how do we serve the world? Let's start with verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In one way, this already tells us how we are to worship God. We're supposed to worship God by becoming living sacrifices. But before we think a bit more about what it means to be a living sacrifice, let's consider why God would even ask us to do this. It's in view of God's great mercy that we are called to worship him by offering our entire lives. As chapter 11 teaches, it's a special privilege for us to be included uh, as Gentiles to be included into his kingdom. God didn't need to do this. It's an amazing act of grace that he even chooses to save the uh, nation of Israel. However, God loves us so much. He loves the world so much that he sacrificed himself through sending Jesus, his son, into the world, becoming a punishment for sin for all who have faith. This is no basis to be proud. It's all God's work. As easily as God engrafted you in, he could easily break you off from the tree. The only right response to this is understanding our salvation 
is to be humble in this way. This is how we fear God, knowing his power and authority over us. And if we understand that it's by God's mercy that he saves us, then our whole outlook on life changes. We completely become humble in this way, willing and joyfully wanting to offer ourselves to serve God. It's with this understanding then that we become living sacrifices, ones that are holy and pleasing to God. But what is a living sacrifice? It's a bit of a weird concept. Uh, How can a sacrifice be living? Well, back in the day of Christ, before Christ, uh, if you received a blessing from God, then it would be very appropriate to go to the temple and offer sacrifice uh, in thanks to what he's given you. Paul here wants us to then think, what is the right response to the blessing that God has given us? How should we show our thanks and gratitude to him? Here's a a few different examples to uh, the salvation that God's given us, how we might respond to him. Let me know what you think of them. So because God has saved us through Jesus Christ by giving his life, maybe we should spend a whole day in prayer and praise to him. Maybe that's not enough. Perhaps a week's worth of your income given to the local church. How about a a month's mission trip to a place over in Africa where people haven't heard of Christ? Do any of these sound suitable? Maybe that's even still a bit cheap. How about we include all three of those and do that for a whole entire year? I think you're starting to get the point, right? There's nothing that we can do in this life to show enough thanks to God in sacrificing his son for our sake. The only thing we can do is humbly offer our whole lives back to him. Now, I'm not suggesting that we kill ourselves. That would be a dead sacrifice, right? A living sacrifice continues to live, allowing God to speak into every decision that you make. You are not your own, but you are bought at a price. That's what Paul gets on to saying in the second verse. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Because our lives are now fully devoted to serving God, we have become a new people, completely changed. We are to put off that old self, which is corrupted by sin, and bring on the new self, being like God in righteousness and holiness. His Holy Spirit then transforms us, sanctifying us, making us more like Jesus so we will obey God's will. And then that, that really makes sense, doesn't it, if we understand our salvation correctly. We are then willingly offer our lives to God as a living sacrifice. But this is often very difficult to do, isn't it? We may be uh, made new, but we're not yet perfected. There's still sin within us that distracts us from following God's way perfectly. I remember a conversation I had last year when I was talking with someone who advocates for global missions. Maybe that was my first mistake. We were talking about what it's like to do ministry in another country. He then asked me this confronting question. 
What's the best reason you have for not going somewhere else and serving God there? The answer I gave was something along these lines. Well, I'm currently serving God here in Launceston. I don't need to go anywhere else. There's so much work to do right here where I am. Disheartened by my answer, he then said, here in Australia, there are tons of people doing the work that you're doing. Many other countries around the world have been so less equipped and so many few people are serving Christ where it's even needed the most. Lots are being equipped here, but who's going and being sent to those other places? In the weeks following this conversation, it kept coming up in my mind because I knew he was right in what he said. The reason I was giving was quite weak and based on my own comfort. Yes, I'm willing to serve God, but I want to do it on my own terms, in the luxury of my own home. At that time in my life, I probably wasn't willing to serve God fully with every single part of my life. I wonder what your answer might be to that kind of question. If God called you to leave everything behind and go to another place, would you do that? I'm not saying that you necessarily should and need to, but would you be willing? Are you willing to serve God with your whole entire life? Maybe it's worth thinking for a moment, what's the main obstacle that stops you from serving God 100%? What causes you to slacken off and maybe think, well, today I can't be bothered talking to that person? Or maybe, it's fine, I'll do that chore or task later. I know someone else is going to do that job, and they can do a better job of it than me, so I won't bother. God gives us many different contexts to serve him. Maybe think about these different aspects of your life. Maybe at work with your boss and colleagues. Perhaps there's customers and clients you need to interact with. How are you serving them? At school, with your teachers, your friends and classmates. How are you being faithful in your studies there? Here at church, with other leaders and church family, perhaps visitors that come through the door, How are we serving one another here? In your home, the people you spend most of your time with, your family, your spouse, children and siblings. How are you making sure that you're caring for them? Now, I think in each of these areas, we'll probably fall short somewhere um, in any of these contexts. But perhaps there's one particular area at the moment where you should be serving God more than you currently are. Or perhaps you actually should be serving less because where you're serving the most is actually causing you to distract from some other responsibilities in your life. What's the best reason you have for not serving God more where you might be lacking to do so at the moment? What's holding you back from serving him fully? Now, we've thought a bit about uh, what true worship is, That's offering our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And the rest of this passage explores how we are to serve one another, starting with those within the church and then more broadly uh, with outside that. In this next section from 3 to 16, Paul first talks about how we should be using our gifts. He uses this common analogy uh, used elsewhere 
of the body to represent the church, as he explains in the fourth verse. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Each member or body part has a unique purpose. They all different and highly rely on one another. If one part was missing, then the whole body wouldn't be able to function as it should. If your body was missing an arm or a leg, you'd find yourself very limited, wouldn't you? Unless you had additional aid, you'd likely stumble and fall. Paul takes up this idea further uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, which you can read about later. We're all parts of this body of Christ, and we all need to serve God for the church to serve effectively. The emphasis here in Romans, I think, is the attitude we are to have when we serve. We are to serve one another in humility. I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. If what we've been taught before, if we remember that, there's no reason for any of us to be proud of the position God has placed us in his family. We are all equal together. Again, it's only because of God's grace that he's shown towards us that we're all on the same level, equally sinful by birth and equally brought to righteousness. Yes, God has created us all differently and he gives us different gifts and talents and skills to serve him, but none of them are to be held in any higher regard than the other. All are needed for the body to function well. We come to faith in God with humility, and he calls us to continue to serve with humility too. From verse 6, we get a bunch of gifts that are then listed. The Bible never gives a complete list of gifts, but these might be some common examples. In verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. Note that idea of grace again. It's God who blesses us with these gifts. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. It is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's, to give it, if it's in giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it is to serve, if it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Essentially, if you have a gift, you should use it. That's what is meant by this kind of repeated structure. He states the gift and then explains how we are to use it. I wonder what your gift is. How are you using it? Sometimes when we think about gifts, we can easily get confused sometimes. We might have questions about what gifts are. Does everyone have them? Or how do I know what gift I have? From what we've read already, I think there's a few things we can already affirm. Our bodies are to be fully dedicated to God in serving him. God has created us all differently, and by his grace has given different people different gifts. And all of us need to work together in serving one another and God. So I think if you've seen God working effective in, effectively in you to love others and bring him glory, then that's what you should continue to do. Given we're prioritizing our lives to God, in some ways we don't necessarily need to get worried about identifying our gifts. 
It became helpful, however, I think, to identify them because it helps us know where we should be investing our time. And it also allows you to see where do you complement other people and what other gifts people have and how you can work together. If you are wondering what your gifts might be and how you serve God, the best tip I would say is just to do a lot of different things. Try different things, including things you're not actually comfortable in doing usually. And then when you see God at work and others say the same, then maybe that's a gift. A common mistake, I think, might be, however, is that we actually never get to using our gifts because we're too worried about identifying what they are. If that might be you, I want to just say, have a go. Try something that you think you can do and do it. Have a go and let's see what God does. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. Let's continue to build this church so that everyone together, everyone everywhere will know Christ. Paul then continues to what seems to be like a bunch of random short sayings. You could call it Paul's Proverbs. All of them are connected, however, and expand on this attitude that we are to have when we serve, the main ones being love and humility. Now, we don't have enough time to explore all of them, so I encourage you to meditate on some of those later, but let's go through them quickly. Love is to be sincere. When we're serving others, we need to do it in a sincere way. When it comes to good and evil, we're supposed to hold to what is good, cling to it. And where there's uh, evil, just have nothing to do with it, hate with it. As we love one another, we're to be devoted in that, be uh, striving to do that. We are to honour one another above ourselves. And as we serve God, do it with zeal. Don't lack as you do that. Do it continuously. In hope, we are to be joyful when there's hopeful things in our lives as we serve. If there's affliction, then we need to be patient in those times. We should always be praying, and as we do that, we need to be faithful in prayer. If someone has needs that you identify, then make sure that you share what you have with them to help address those needs. If there's an opportunity to practice hospitality, then we should do that too. These are all good things to reflect on, because often we tend to do the opposite. They're all related to one another about our relationships with one another. It's key for this church to work as one. If we strive together in loving one another and looking out for the needs of each other, I think we can probably tick off most of these. As we've already discovered, all of this requires a lot of humility. And this idea continues, as does Paul's list of wisdom. If uh, there's times to rejoice, then we are to rejoice with others. When there's times to mourn, we are to mourn with them. In this, we are to live in harmony with one another. We're not to be proud, but willing to associate with everyone, particularly those who are lower than us. We're not to be conceited. Again, all of these ideas require a lot of love and humility. This is the attitude that the church needs for us all to work together. As soon as pride comes into it, everything starts to become unbalanced. One person dominates and another is belittled. 
We need to follow Christ's example in serving others, having the same mindset as him. Christ humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross, as Philippians says. Do you have this same humble mindset as you're serving one another? What's your attitude like in each of these, those different contexts that I mentioned before, perhaps, of work, school, church, and home? Are we serving one another out of love? Are we coming alongside one another, wanting to see each other being built up? How are we working together as a whole church, as one body serving one another with love and humility? In this last section from verse 17, the focus seems to shift a little bit from within the church to the broader world. There's more wisdom here for us to understand how we're to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God. We've thought a bit about how we are to do that in the church environment, and, but now we need to think about how do we do that as we go out into the world. It's a slightly different question, isn't it? It can be a lot easier to do that with those we have unity with. God has unified us together, given us the same values to live by, so that we can understand and work together effectively. But how do we interact with others who don't hold those same values? I think the virtue that Paul wants us to learn and pursue is peace. From verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. We are to live at peace with all. Although this, I think, applies in many different ways, there seems to be an emphasis here towards those we find hardest to live at peace with, our enemies. I think the reason why he addresses our enemies is because if we can live at peace with our enemies, then we can live at peace with anyone. We met a few weeks ago uh, with the PeaceWise training and learnt that Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. In the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. We are to be peacemakers, not falling either side by becoming either a peace faker or a peace breaker. We don't want to be trying to avoid those situations and trying to avoid to disrupt the problem too. If we decide to take revenge in these disputes with others, we're just causing ourselves to become part of the problem, leaving both parties in sin. It doesn't help the dispute and doesn't model Christ-like character towards them. Paul quotes a proverb to give further reasons of why we should practice peace. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. It's a radical way of thinking, to bless those who hurt us. And our human instinct is usually to go back at them, to curse them instead. This idea of heaping coals on someone's head could suggest that in us showing love towards someone, we could actually be trying to inflict judgment on them 
We could be tempted to feel good about this, I think. But I don't think that's the intended idea here. The previous verse says that judgment is for God. We aren't to be the ones seeking revenge. I think the purpose of heaping coals is to bring about good, to lead people to repentance. If we respond in love, then it becomes more obvious where they stand and their acts of evil become useless. The ultimate hope is that through our good actions, that they will see their wrongdoing and turn to God. The way to overcome evil done towards us is to do good. We are also instructed to leave room for God's wrath, that he will avenge and repay. As Christians, we have a great hope, not just that our sins are forgiven, but that Christ is going to return and bring justice. In all the different situations we might be in, we need to keep God's eternal perspective in view. Although Paul here quotes Deuteronomy, we can look to Revelation knowing how things will end. When Christ returns, all evil is going to be dealt with and God's wrath is fully going to be poured out. Nothing and no one will go unjudged. All will be made right. It's not our job to balance the scales of evil and justice. And I think verse 18 sums this up well. Our job, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We are to be doing our best to keep the peace if it's possible. Unfortunately, there's, that's not going to be the case all the time. Um, sometimes we're not going to be able to be able to keep the peace, and that's the result of living in a broken world. But we're to do as much as we can to keep that peace. And this is by no means, doesn't mean that we should try and victimise ourselves and let that happen. If you are a victim of abuse, then you should seek friends and professionals in a peaceful manner to address that situation. When we're in a moment caused by hurt, I think we can be comforted knowing that God also hates evil too. Remembering this, I think, will help us leave room for God's wrath, knowing that he will take care of everything when Christ returns. Although, again, that's not very easy, we should pray for those doing evil against us. Pray that God will bring them to peace and repentance. If we do this with the help of God's Spirit, we won't be able to restore the world, but there will be more peace in the world. And where there is peace, there is humility. And where there's humility, God's gospel will be heard in the world too. Let's finish by bringing everything full circle. The way we are to serve the church and the world is through love and humility. However, that's not the ultimate aim. We first need to understand God's mercy in our lives that he's shown towards us through the cross. Christ's sacrifice adopts us into God's kingdom, an awesome and humble privilege we have is then this response that leads us to worshipping God, willingly offering our lives to God as living sacrifices. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit transforms us towards his goodwill. God is the one who helps us to serve the church and the world with love and humility, the love and humility that we see through Christ's example and his life. Let me read the first two verses again to finish. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the world of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. May God transform us to be more like his son as we worship him through loving, through loving others um, and serving him that way. Let me pray. Dear Father, we thank you for what you've taught us now. Thank you that um, you show us the way to live through Christ, his example, that you've saved us into your kingdom. You've shown so much love towards us and your mercy continues to abound. Help us to be reminded of this truth each day as a way and motivation to serve others Help us to see how you've created us, learn more about ourselves, that we would be giving every part of our life to you in service to you. And through our lives, we thank you that you use us to bring bring about peace in this world so that people can hear your gospel and turn to Christ also. Help us to have a loving and humble attitude as we do this. Help us to be transformed and led by your spirit as we serve one another in love and humility.